God of wisdom, you have not let us alone, but have provided your word and your spirit for our direction. We pray that you will send your spirit upon us now, so that as we hear your word, we may understand it as you would have us, and use it in our daily living. In Jesus' name, amen. The first scripture reading is from the, the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, reading verses 1 to 14. The, the hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The second reading is a responsive uh, reading from the Old Testament, Psalm 67, and the words will appear on the screen. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Your way may be known upon the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth is yielded its increase. God, our God, bless us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. And from the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, reading verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. 
So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. And from the Gospels in the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, reading verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick? or in prison and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's speak to God for his word to us. The message I speak, to you this morning, I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, one wise observer of church life in the 20th century said, church membership has become sort of like a religious credit card that costs nothing in life and will be worth nothing in death. He went on to say, this much is certain. If we don't make the church membership mean something, it will mean nothing. What's gone wrong with their thinking about church? Well, I would say that the problem is we have adopted a non-biblical non view of the church. We lost the simple structure that the church is made up of all kinds of people. We seem to believe that only those engaged in full-time ministry 
we're considered ministers and only those who are ruling elders are, are supposed to work around the church. Well, my friends, the church will only stay alive when we recover the truth of every member ministry. The church is alive in us when we exercise these various ministries. The first thing we need to see is that the church is all about relationships. Yes, the church isn't bricks and mortar, it's people. In the New Testament, the Greek term for church means the called out ones. So the church isn't a physical facility. It's you, each one of you. Without you, the church would not exist. That's exactly why the church is about relationships. In the church, we're related to one another in a vital union of the spirit. The relationship is an intelligent relationship based on a fair consideration of who we are in relation to each other. In our epistle reading for today, the following is written. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. With so much emphasis on a positive image in today's world, this verse is particularly insightful. Is it possible to think too highly of oneself? Of course it is. And how we think of ourselves is important because the church is made up of people with whom we are intimately related. And how we relate to one another will depend on our attitude towards ourselves and towards each other. Yes, one danger is to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. However, there's another danger, the danger of not thinking of ourselves as highly, as highly as we ought to. Our opinion of ourselves should not be too high or too low. It should be an opinion based on sober judgment, based on a realistic view of what God has done in our lives. God would have us neither be involved in self-exaltation or self-deprecation. In the Screwtape Letters, a book by C.S. Lewis, containing a bunch of uh, imaginary letters from a senior devil to a junior devil, Screwtape instructs the uh, junior devil named Wormwood in all the art of temptation. And we find an interesting dialogue on how to develop false humility. Now remember as I go through this story that it is written from the demon's perspective, so the enemy is God. Screw tape tells Wormwood, I see only one thing to do at the moment. Your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to that fact? All virtues are less formidable to us 
once the man realizes that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Let him think of it not as self-forgetfulness, but as a certain kind of, of opinion, namely a low opinion of his own talents and character. Some talents, I gather, he already has. Fix in his mind the idea that humility consists in trying to believe those talents to be less valuable than he believes them to be. Oh, no doubt they are less valuable than he believes, but that's not the point. The great thing is to make him value an opinion for some quality other than the truth, thus introducing an, an element of dishonesty and make-believe into the heart of what other could become a virtue. By this method, thousands of humans have been brought to think that humility means that pretty women think that they're ugly and clever men believe they are false. The enemy wants to bring the man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and knowing, know it to be the best and rejoice in the fact without being any more or any less or otherwise glad at having done it than he would have been if it had been done by another. The enemy wants him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and as gratefully as his neighbor's talents. My friends, remember, as I spoke those words, the enemy in this case was God because it was written by, by the devil himself. Really, what God wants is that we rejoice in his work in and through us without being puffed up in pride. We must remember that we're not the only ones through which he works. It is through every believer in the body of Christ that his work gets accomplished. We not only have an intelligent relationship with other members of the church we have an intimate relationship. Paul states, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ, we who are, from, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So do you want to know how the church should function? Well, take a look at your body. Every part of your body has a specific function. You have hands that can pick up things and feet that can carry you as you walk. You have a heart that pumps blood to every part of your body. You have a set of lungs which deliver oxygen into your bloodstream. Both your heart and your lungs cooperate in this effort. Yet they'd be useless if they weren't connected to the rest of the body. You have eyes that see, ears that hear, a mouth that can eat and taste and speak, and a nose that can smell. My friends, there are many 
organs in the human body. But, you know, they all must work together, guided by the head of the body, the brain. Yes, I know, some members appear to be more important than others. And I suppose that if we had to choose between losing our right hand or our heart, we choose the right hand. But we don't want to make that choice, do we? Each member is important. And while our little finger may not seem very important, if we were to break it, all the other parts of the body would cooperate to get it swift medical attention. You see, it's not only the finger's problem, it's our problem. We're connected. Each member of our body is important. It's all for one and one for all. And Paul tells us that the mystical body of Christ, the church, is like our human body. Each member has a role, a function, a ministry. Each member is necessary, is important. Each member is interrelated to each other member. And when we all cooperate together under the leadership of the head, Jesus Christ, the ministry of the local church is powerful and effective. Verse 5 says that each member belongs to all the others. This is the intimate relationship we have with one another. Look around you in church. Look at the people in front of you, behind you, beside you. They are the church. Or they're not all like you. They each have different gifts, different ministries. But you're not complete without them. You need them, and guess what? They need you. We all need each other in the church. None are called to go it alone. Now, because we're all necessary and important, there's a certain responsibility we have towards one another. With responsibility comes accountability. You see, if we need one another, then when one of us lays down on the job, the others suffer. We have a responsibility to exercise the gifts and ministries that God has given us. So let's look at a few of the spiritual uh, gifts mentioned here in our text. They could be called speaking and serving gifts, or gifts to expound the word of God and gift given to extend the work of God. The first gift we're, ta uh, we're told about is prophesying. That's probably one of the most misunderstood gifts that there is. You know, prophecy is not merely foretelling the future. Prophecy is a foretelling of the mind of God. It illuminates the word of God to our minds and gives us a living word for the here and now. Many times the prophetic word will come to you as you listen to the word of God being expounded on 
are taught. The Holy Spirit quickens that word and through the preacher speaks directly in our hearts. But other times, you know, as you pray, God will pray, uh, place an impression on your heart. Through prophecy, God speaks a living, fresh word to us. The next gift mentioned is serving. Or ministry, if you wish. Because, you know, ministry means service. And this service means many things, like visiting those who need a visit, ushering, setting up tables, taking a meals to someone's house, inviting someone to our own house. And the next gift is teaching. That's the art of imparting knowledge about the scriptures to the human mind. Now, it's different somewhat from preaching. And that preaching speaks to the heart while teaching speaks to the mind. Teaching is designed to inform while preaching is designed to move the will. And I believe that many more of you have that gift than you realize. As you're instructed in the word of God and make it part of your daily lives, you can then tell, uh, teach someone else about what you've learned. Maybe not by speaking with them, just by the way you act, they learn. Not every teacher needs to be in front of a class. Effective teaching can take place one-on-one. -on -one. Then there's the gift of encouragement. There's an illustration of this gift in scripture in the life of Barnabas. Barnabas was called a son of encouragement. That's what the name Barnabas means. You know, his real name actually was Joseph. But everyone knew him by the name he had been assigned because of his life. He was a type that you'd probably find with his arm draped around someone's shoulder, encouraging, comforting, urging him on. We all need encouragement at some time or another in our lives. Lest we begin to become cynical, bitter people. And yes, my friends, there are many who are blessed with this gift of encouragement. Who see, you know, just what to say or what to do. Then there's the gift of contributing to the needs of others. God has blessed some with a singleness of heart to give greatly to his work. And the true motive for giving is love for God. The gift of leadership is one that's needed in the church. We need leadership, however, that is exercised with diligence. Leadership involves being able to see what is needed in these times and leading people in those endeavors. However, and this is a, a big however, a big but, it must be according with the scriptures, thus the diligence. Then, and this will be the last gift I speak of this morning, there's a gift of showing mercy. In order to show mercy, it's not unusual to have to go to the person requiring it. The people who need this gift include 
the sick, the afflicted, the bereaved. Sometimes they're depressed and we have to make the first move. The reading says that we're not to exercise this gift with long faces, but with smiles, with cheer. My friends, this is only a small list of our spiritual gifts. There are many more mentioned throughout the epistles. They're not merely natural abilities or talents. They are gifts of grace. Gifts that God gives to each of us to be used to minister to one another and to the world. And while everyone has at least one of these gifts, no one has them all. That's why we need one another. You need to see that when you join this church, you were placed in a vital living relationship with one another. You have a gift. You have a ministry. You have a role. And this role is not just for your own good, but for the good of all. Oh, not all are ministers of word and sacrament, are teachers or elders. Not all are gifted in music. I know I'm not. However, we all have a ministry. We need one another. Eyes are wonderful, but what good would they be without a head to put them in? Ears are wonderful, but what good would they be without a head to hang them on? In the church, Christ is our head. And God has given you precisely the gift that he knew the church needed. The church is not merely an organization. It's an organism. It's a living, dynamic body of believers who have entered into a covenant relationship with God and with one another and who are responsible to God and to one another. God helps us to be alive in Jesus. Unfortunately, many churches are not. They are like the prophecy of the dry bones in Ezekiel. But look at the question. Can these bones really live? And the answer was that they could if the breath of God inhabited them. My friends, we need the same breath of God to fill us. That's what makes the church alive. That's what makes it a true church. Amen. And now unto God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.